Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Ferret Talk. I'm Melissa Stuttered and this is the Blog Talk Radio show for the Ferret, a journal of spiritual literature where we publish writings and engage in dialogue to promote peace in the individual and in the world. We're thrilled that you've joined us tonight, and we would love for you to also join our global online community at www.teferitjournal.com. There, in addition to interacting with other members, reading their writings, and posting your own writings, you can subscribe to the journal, which in each issue presents high-quality poetry, prose, and art. This evening's guest is the fabulous poet and creative nonfiction writer, Molly Peacock. We'll be focusing on her book, The Paper Garden, Mrs. Delaney Begins Her Life's Work at 72, and talking about other topics as well. Peacock is also the author of six books of poetry, a memoir, and a book about writing. She is the editor of a collection of creative nonfiction pieces and the co-editor of Poetry in Motion. Peacock also wrote and acted in a one-woman staged monologue in Poems, The Shimmering Verge, which she performed in theaters throughout North America. As well, for 10 years, she conducted quarterly poetry circles on Wisconsin Public Radio. Among her awards are Danforth Foundation, Ingram Merrill Foundation, Woodrow Wilson Foundation, National Endowment for the Arts, and New York State Council on the Arts Fellowships former poet-in-residence at the American Poets' Corner at Cathedral Church of St. John the Divine in New York, and former president of the Poetry Society of America, Peacock is one of the creators of Poetry in Motion on subways and buses throughout North America. Currently, she's on the faculty of the Spalding University Low Residency MFA program. She also serves as series editor of the Best Canadian Poetry in English. In a starred review of book lists of the paper garden, Peacock does with words what Delaney did with scissors and paper, consummately constructing an indelible portrait of a late-blooming artist an exalted inquiry into creativity, and a resounding celebration of the power of amazement. Molly, can you hear me? I can. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I'm delighted to have you, and I love the paper garden. I have to tell you, it is so beautifully written and just gorgeously constructed and inspiring. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I put my whole heart into that book. Um, oh, I and, know. Uh, and I, I hope that Mrs. Delaney's heart is in there, too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> 
And um, I know your engagement with Mrs. Delaney's life and work is something that developed in stages until it really became compelling for you. So I wanted to see if you could start by telling us briefly about how the project unfolded for you over time and why you were inspired to write, not just about her work, but about her personal life, too. I didn't know that the project was unfolding. It started in 1986 when I first saw Mrs. Delaney's work at the Morgan Library. It was the first time that 100 of her utterly remarkable 985 cut brilliant cut paper botanical collages were shown. Mrs. Delaney is an 18th century artist, um, and she did these uh, works in her 70s. And, uh, you know, I know that our art history books tell us that Picasso and Matisse invented collage in the 20th century. But here's this woman who was doing this in the 18th century. And I was completely knocked out. Um, and I, I was supposed to be up at the Museum of Modern Art looking, looking at something um, uh, abstract and masculine, and instead I'm hi- hiding out in the Morgan Library looking at Mrs. Delaney's <laughs> work. Uh, I went to buy the the expensive hardcover um, book that went along with it, and the book was by a descendant of hers, Ruth Hayden. But the book was fabulously expensive, uh, a British import, and so I passed it up and went on into my life um you know as we all do caught in the maelstrom of everyday living and i didn't see her work again until 2003 uh but i always kind of had it in mind but but when i was in the british museum uh i uh, i was waiting for my husband to make a phone call and i walked to the end the last table uh in the gift shop, and there was the book I couldn't afford in 1986. So I mm-hmm. bought it in 2003 and dove in and, and and was nervous in that way. You know, you must have had this experience, Melissa, where, where you saw something or read something at one point in your life and you wonder whether it's going to nourish you at another point in your life. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, mean, I think everyone in the audience has had that I had that experience, so I, I, well, I was. I opened the book with trepidation, and instantly reconnected with this book. And my first question then was, how did she do it? How did this woman invent an art form in her eighth decade? So that's how I got started. <laughs> that was the that was the question that started. Oh wow. <laughs> And for anyone who who doesn't know already, what she made were these beautiful um, paper flowers, which were really, as you said, the beginning of multimedia collage, right? Yes, absolutely, because she used um, hundreds and hundreds of little squiggles and jots and dots and half moons of brightly colored paper, and she composed botanically accurate portraits of flowers on black background, so they're very dramatic. They're colorful and dramatic, uh, and and quite amazing. And you can go to www.peacockpapergarden to see 
um, some of these uh, images, and you can go to the British Museum website. The British Museum has all of them, all 985, (laughs) and you can search the website and turn them up. Well, and I want to say the book itself has absolutely gorgeous reproductions of the works throughout. Um, you know, as well as being beautifully written, it is just the the book itself is just a beautiful object. You know, it, <laughs> it was it was an honor for me to have the publishers um, in four different countries so invested in producing this book. Um, the Canadian and Australian versions are on shiny paper, and it looks a little bit more like an art book. The um, American and British versions uh, are on matte paper, and it's a little bit more like a reading book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is gorgeous, though. It really is. <laughs> it's just, I, 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 every time I look at it, I, 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 it, it still takes my breath away, the actual object of the book. I know, I know. It, it really is beautiful. Um, would you read us a passage now? I would be happy to, of course, from the beginning. (laughs) Each chapter of this book, um, the book is organized around 13 of her images, um, and uh, this is the very opening. Imagine starting your life's work at the age of 72. Mary Granville Pendarvis Delaney, born May 14, 1700, died April 15, 1788, a student of George Friedrich Handel, a sometime dinner partner of satirist Jonathan Swift, a wearer of green hooped satin gowns, and a fiercely devoted subject of blonde King George III, invented the precursor of what we know as collage at just that age. One afternoon... In 1772, she noticed how a piece of colored paper matched the dropped petal of a geranium. After making that vital imaginative connection between paper and petal, she lifted the equivalent of an 18th century exacto blade. She'd have called it a scalpel or a pair of filigree-handled scissors, the kind that must have had a nose so sharp and delicate that you can almost imagine it picking up a scent. With the instrument alive in her still rather smooth-skinned hand, she began to maneuver, carefully cutting the exact geranium petal shape from the scarlet paper. Then she snipped out another, and another, and Another in the trance-like efficiency of repetition, commencing the most remarkable work of her life. Snip. Mary Delaney took the organic shapes she had cut and recomposed in the mirror likeness of that geranium, pasting up an exact life-size replica of the flower on a piece of black paper. Then her friend the Duchess popped in. She couldn't tell the paper flower from the real one. Mrs. D., which is what they affectionately call her at the British Museum, dubbed her paper and petal paste up a flower mosaic, and in the next ten years she completed nearly a thousand cut paper botanicals, so accurate that botanists still refer to them. 
each one so energetically dramatic that it seems to leap out from the dark as onto a lit stage. Unlike the usual pale botanical drawings, they are all done on deep black backgrounds. She drenched the fronts of white-laid paper with black watercolor, honey, and ox gall to obtain a stage curtain-like darkness. Once dry, she paced onto these backgrounds hundreds, and I literally mean hundreds, into the thousands of the tiniest dots, squiggles, scoops, moon slivers, islands, and loops of brightly colored paper, slowly building up the verisimilitude of flora. I have invented a new way of imitating flowers, she wrote with astonishing understatement to her niece in 1772. Seventy-two years old. It gives a person hope. Who doesn't hold out the hope of starting a memorable project at a grand old age? A life's work is always unfinished and requires creativity till the day a person dies. Even if you've managed major accomplishments throughout your life and don't really need a model for making a mark, you do need one for enriching an ongoing existence. Mm, beautiful. <laughs> you can tell a poet wrote that. <laughs> well, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yes, it was it was it was quite a journey uh, from uh, being a po- being a poet to becoming a biographer, I must say. <laughs> well, you know, I was kind of curious about that. I thought, you know, what what made you choose to write this instead of say a poetic sequence, you know, about the flowers? You know, people have asked me that, and um, even though I find uh, a narrative comes into my poetry. My, I'm interested as a poet in the lyric moment. I'm not interested in filling a poem with lots and lots of facts and details. Even though I, I read those poems, I can engage with them, but it's not my impulse. For me, that belongs in prose. And um, so, so for me, the challenge of Delaney's life was to try to find the metaphors that would express it, but hew to the facts of her life, which are extraordinary. Uh, pe- people said to me, well, why didn't you write a novel about Mrs. Delaney? And I thought, well, who wants to write a novel about Mrs. Delaney? The, the actual <laughs> events of her life were so extraordinary, so engaging, so flabbergasting. They were. They were. Uh, I love reality. Uh, so I didn't want to make it up. Oh, I don't blame you, and she's just remarkable. And, um, you know, the way you, you structured it really is like a poem. I mean, with the, the metaphors, the whole yeah. thing is built on yeah. comparison, whether it's analogy or metaphor or, you know, um, simile. It's, it's that, that similarity of the, the poet's eye creates or, you know, recognizes between them, actually. It, I, I had to have a structure. I didn't know how to go about doing it without that structure, and I also felt that uh, if this book were to be published, uh, and, and, and it was precarious you know, for a long time as to whether anyone would accept my idea, I thought it had to have her images in it. I mean, it's one thing to write a biography um, of uh, Matisse, 
but because everyone knows what the images look like. But it's another mm-hmm. thing to write a book about someone who did something extraordinary, but people don't know those images. And uh, so I thought, well, uh, I started off with six. If, if only I thought a publisher would would take six of them. And I used each one as a threshold into her life. But luckily, um, an editor who, had, who was used to um, uh, publishing illustrated books uh, bought the book, and she said, no, we want many more images than that. And then that's when I doubled it and um, used each image as a threshold into a period of her life and then used the details of the images as a way to get at some of the questions uh, that I tried to answer in the biography. Mm, That's beautiful. Um, You know, I wanted to ask you about something from the end of the passage that you just read. Mm -hmm. You talked about enriching an ongoing existence and a life of work always being unfinished. And we, we know the importance of art for art's sake, but what you highlight here is really also the importance of art for a life. Yes. um, Would you talk about that a little bit? I think it's really, really important. Quite aside from whether the art um, gets out into the world, I feel that making is important for living. I feel that we understand what we uh, what we do in life. We we process what we are and how we feel through making things. And craft, um, and, I, and I use that word with the widest possible net, um, allows us to engage in creating something uh, out, of, out of our senses and our impulses and also gives us technique. Uh, and knowing how to do something is that, that, uh, expertise is, is, a, is, a, is a window into someone's personality and, and, and allows us a sense of control. So little uh, in life is under our control. <laughs> and actually making something um, uh, gives us a feeling of efficacy. And, and, and that is what craft is about. And Mrs. Delaney was um, the consummate amateur, and I don't mean that as a dilettante. I mean amateur as as that, that the person who loves an art but doesn't uh, think of themselves as quote unquote professional. And she didn't. She didn't aim to sell these works. She didn't aim to publicly show them. Uh, and uh, even though they were quite well known by the end of her life, and and they were indeed shown because um, King George III and Queen Charlotte cottoned on to them, and and the minute that happened, uh, uh, she had a, a, a certain fame. But um, uh, well, I mean, you know, it's 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 it's. Uh, uh, it's well. It's as if if President Obama took up your went 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 to view your work. You know that kind mm-hmm. of thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I know one of the things you did in the book was that you really made a study of what it was about Mrs. Delaney's life that allowed her to create the mosaics at the time she did. And I wanted to see if you could share your insights about that. 
Yeah, you know, I was in some ways it was just a crazy endeavor. It had me on my knees all the time. I, I, I you know, this is this is a book where I, I was constantly overwhelmed because I, I thought, could I track every instance of creativity in Mrs. Delaney's life <laughs> from the her earliest from the earliest I could find, which would be about the age of six or eight, um, uh, through. That, that very, very first uh, cut paper botanical, um, then I could find the reasons for how she did it and, and, and what happened in her life. And uh, she left letters. She left hundreds and hundreds of pages of letters, six volumes of letters, published volumes. And so I, I went through all of that correspondence, looking for all of these instances, and um, it, 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 it was one of those tasks where uh, it just it was as overwhelming to me um, in my 60s doing this as my very first research paper. At the age of ten, was overwhelming to me <laughs> for just wow. all the onslaught of it all, having to weed through it all. Uh, but <laughs> uh, and and, and I, I must say, I, I was aided in two ways. One is that before I started the book, uh, I wrote an essay about Mrs. Delaney. For a very tiny magazine, I would love to give a shout out to that's PMS magazine. Don't laugh. Poem, memoir, right. story. Um, right. And they and uh, they they asked me for a piece of writing, and I said, "Well, why don't I tell you about Mrs. Delaney?" And they said, "Oh no, it has to be con- it's poem, memoir, story. You've got to connect it to yourself in some way." So I wrote a little essay called "Passion Flowers in Winter." Uh, a compare and contrast essay, just as I learned as a little girl, comparing and contrasting Mrs. Delaney and my mother, a twentieth century, a twentieth century uh, um, uh, woman of the greatest generation, um, uh, working at uh, a farm girl working at Bell Aircraft in uh, uh, Buffalo, New York to a minor aristocrat in the 18th century. And I thought, am I mad? I I kept trying to, you know, in some ways Mrs. Delaney had a lot more freedom than my mother. Um, So I found out a lot in going back and forth between those two centuries. And and that essay, um, um, out of that obscure magazine, PMS, um, uh, David Foster Wallace chose that uh, essay for Best American Essays. And I thought, holy cow. Uh, so, and, and I began to get some email about it, and I thought, people are interested in this. And happily, I was able to use that essay to apply for a fellowship at the uh, Leon Levy Center for Biography at the CUNY Graduate Center in New York City. And it was there. Um, with the, the uh, oh, the, you know, just the sanction and the feeling of support that uh, other established biographers' approval can give you that I, I began this and <laughs> began my decision 
not to write a birth to death thousand page biography. <laughs> I didn't want to write a tome. I wanted to write something people would read. So, um, I mean, not that people don't read tomes, um, but um, it's a special kind of reading experience, and I wanted mine to be different because I wasn't interested in every detail of her life. I was interested in her creative life and what made that up. And it, it's tracking her. That was my journey in the book and what allowed um, me to come to some conclusions about her work. Mm, wow. And, you know, I love what you said about the letters, too, that you said they allowed her to become a sympathetic witness to the character of herself. Yes, it's true. It's true. <laughs> It's true. Um, uh, it was uh, uh, to, to, re- to read her letters, which are many of whom, many of which, many of whom, I, each of these letters seems to be a person to me. Many of which uh, were written to her sister, uh, I, I, another sympathetic witness in her life. Uh, each, each one of these letters is a, is a kind of window into Delaney herself. I mean, she was just she was an ebullient, uh, personable letter writer. So it's just it's it, it, it's easy. It's even even though it was overwhelming in terms of pages, it's it's not. It's, it, there's always something to engage. You know, one of the things that fascinated me about the book is that you you talked a lot about her busyness and her industry and, you know, personality trait that she had. She was always doing things. And in this book, I mean, you really overturn a lot of the stereotypes of the artist. She is a a busy, busy person. She's not in isolation. She, the the support of other people, the encouragement of other people, which is why I kind of giggle when you said, you know, with the approval of biographers, I was thinking about Mrs. Delaney. But (laughs) it, it encourages her to go on. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that and maybe, you know, what you think is the difference you know, for an artist or or for anyone, really, in the busyness that creates a a a healthy life and a healthy art, as opposed to the kind of busyness that we see so much now. Um, because I think that could be, you know, what you learned from her on that could be really instructive. <laughs> um, you know, um, Mrs. Delaney led a life remarkably similar to our totally overextended lives now. <laughs> Uh, and she fought for time for herself as well. Um, but she was active. She engaged with everything. If she, uh, when when she read Samuel Richardson, she thought, "Gee, I'm going to try to write a novel." And she wrote a no- novella. When she uh, became friends um, uh, with Handel, she thought, "You know, maybe I could write him a, a, a libretto." Uh, when she, um, <laughs> she, 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 nothing stopped her. She she engaged. She was an enthusiast, and I um uh and and that's one important thing we can learn. But the other important thing we can learn from her is the, is about the significance of friendship in the making of art. Really, uh, her friends. She she created art in circles of friends, and her friend, uh, the Duchess of Portland. Uh, 
I was uh, her her friend's enthusiasm encouraged her. I don't think that she would have gone on to make as many of these works as she did without that corroborating delight of the people around her. Mm-hmm. And she made nearly a thousand, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Amazing. She had a goal of a thousand. But her eyesight began to fail her, and she was a perfectionist, and she stopped at 985 because she realized that, I, I don't think she didn't say this, but but I do, I, I can gather it from what, from other things she said is that a, she had a vision not a goal. She didn't meet the goal, but she met her vision. Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, you know, we if if we stop when we're supposed to, we've only got about a minute left. Is it oh, okay yeah. with you if I ask you a couple more questions, or do you want sure. to close? Okay, okay, great. I have a few more things. Well, I have about a hundred more things, but I can narrow it down. <laughs> Oh, good. Uh, One of the the motifs that I really loved was the importance of noticing. And um, you even talked a little bit about that mesmerized mesmerized state that's induced by close observation. And I wanted to see if you could talk about that, especially the importance of noticing. Uh, Mrs. Delaney was a noticer. Um, She she noticed even how many buttons were on uh, somebody's uh, uh, jacket. Um, she, she 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 and she counted things. She she'd count the steps up up to a, up to a door. She she uh, um, ha, had an attention to detail that kept the world fresh for her. She was not a jaded person, and you can't be jaded if you really attend to detail. Mm. Uh, jaded means life is predictable, but life. Mm-hmm is not predictable in its uh, exhilarating specificity. And uh, so, so, so that's, that's, that's one thing about her noticing. The other thing about noticing is when you don't understand the world and when you're overwhelmed, one thing you can do is simply to describe it. Mm-hmm. If you describe it to yourself, it allows you at least to recognize it. You you may not be able to comprehend it, but it's there in in front of you in, in a in a palpable way that you you are saying it back to yourself. And I, I often have said that to 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 writers. Um, uh, people who've been in workshops with me, or, or people I've taught, that that if you, you know, when all else fails, describe, because in describing, in that noticing, uh, you become that sympathetic witness uh, mm. to existence. Mm, that's great. <laughs> um, okay, I wanted to. You kind of hinted at this at the beginning when you were talking about what you were supposed to be doing in the library and you were actually <laughs> overlooking Mrs. Delaney's work. And I also love this 
quote from you, and I don't even know where I got it, but I love it. You said, I wish I loved in my heart the art I could love in my mind, big, bold, epic, symphonic, but I love the small, the miniature, the detailed, the complex. And I, I wanted to see if you could tell us about that and, and, you know, what it meant to you to kind of give yourself over to that, what your heart wanted, instead of trying to go with your mind. <laughs> yes, it, 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 it is that, that same... Uh, 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 I grew up at a time, and perhaps, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure whether this has changed so much in the world, where uh, the monumental uh was what uh was was what was praised uh, you know as 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 great in art and uh the small uh was not disregarded exactly but somehow it was circumscribed or often domestic and therefore not worthy of the uh, same attention as the, as the the huge the bold and the great and uh it's 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 the way, uh, for instance, that uh, a three-page poem might be much more likely to win a judged contest than a four-line poem. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. it's just that it's so small. It's like how do you pit a caterpillar against a bully mammoth? Uh, and uh, at some point, I just said, you know, I love the miniature. Um, I like looking at miniatures. I like uh, looking at, at uh, um, small images. Um, I, I like that intimate focus. And in poetry, when um, I used to select uh, poems to put on the New York City subways and buses, of course, we were always looking for something under 10 lines. So I, I became this kind of little uh, specialist in the small poem. Uh, and, uh, I, and all of those things really appealed to me. And at some point I just said, well, okay, um, you know, maybe I am just a lover of ma- minor art. Um, but if, if, all, if all we appreciated were the quote-unquote major um, I mean, if it was just nothing but Mount Rushmore that we talked about, um, well, you know, what 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 happens to a piece of China? Uh, and it's it's those 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 things that are always around us, things that we could touch. Uh, and I've always loved poetry because I felt that I could um, uh, hover over the poem with my whole body. It, just in the same way that you might hover over a paperweight, you know, um, and something that is small that you encompass uh, um, is it, it, val- valuable because it requires your focus. It doesn't require your standing back and stretching your neck in awe. It requires your focus and your concentration. And to me, that is one of the ways to live a rich life. Mm, wow, that's beautiful. And it, it's, it's almost meditative, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it is. And that mm-hmm. is part of uh, what I wanted to do in the paper garden, was really make a meditation on late-life creativity. 
using mm. the life of Mrs. Delaney. Mm, wonderful. I wanted to ask you, I'll just ask two more questions. Um, this one, and it's just kind of feeding off of what you just said, What what is the most important thing that you want readers to take away from the paper garden for their own lives? I want everyone to know that some things in life take living long enough to do. Mm. <laughs> and people people said to me, um, oh, if this hadn't happened to Mrs. Delaney, if she hadn't been basically sold off as a political pawn at the age of 17 to a drunken 61-year-old squire, for instance, if she hadn't, you know, if this hadn't happened to her, if that hadn't happened to her, but it's, it, it's, I don't think that's the case. I think that everything she did in her life led up to the creation of this work. And it could not have happened one minute sooner than the age of 72. And so I, I just say to everyone um, uh, who, who's, you know, kicking themselves, saying, oh, I should have done it earlier in my life, forgive yourself. You couldn't have done it early in your life. Now is the moment for you to do it. Wow, thank you. <laughs> that is so <laughs> inspiring. <laughs> I'm going to go do it right now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. So um, in closing, I'd just love to know what you're working on right now or what's next for you and if you have any publications or other events or just anything coming up that you'd like to announce and also if you could just point everyone to your website one more time if they want to go and, and follow you. Yes, well, um, all you need to do is go to www.mollypeacock.com um, uh, and you can click on the picture of the paper garden and get all the images. Uh, or you can go to www.peacockpapergarden.com. Um, my new work is um, uh, Alphabetique, Tales of the Lives of the Letters, and it is fiction coming out of um, the poet biographer. It imagines an incident in the lived life of every letter of the alphabet. And these are tiny tales, you know, four or five pages each. And this is an illustrated book. Um, Kara Kosaka has done, is, is in the process of doing the illustrations. And so here we have illustrated fiction, something I always wanted since I felt so deprived since the age of about, I think it's about seven, when you have to give up illustrated books and read real books. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> I, I've never gotten over the trauma. I just <laughs> so <laughs> so so. Alphabetic tales of the lives of the letters uh, begins uh, uh, with A uh, uh, and her husband the, and they are climbing an Alp, uh, trying to <laughs> trying to name their first child. They're pregnant. B. Uh. B is a bembo font, and she is at a font colony. C is a grandfather who hooks his grandson under his arm. He's a soft C, and he's had a lot of trouble in this life since he was the child of a hard C. Um, D always felt he was double. It's made him a good diplomat, 
but created other problems in his life. And it goes on uh, oh, all the way delightful. to uh, Z, as we would say in Canada, but Z, as we say in the United States. Wow, that's delightful. And that, so how exciting. That's your Is that your first work of fiction? Because I've seen all yes, your Yes, it is. It is. Well, that's thrilling. And it's it's really what we call flash fiction, right? Yes, short, it is. Short. And and. Yeah. and, and, and it, it, it's uh, the size of the stories look like something that a poet would write. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's an exciting new genre, you know. Yes, right now, very exciting. So, well, thank you so much. It has just been a delight to speak with you tonight, and um, I wish you the best of luck with with the new book. It sounds wonderful. Well, thank thank you, thank you for the insights of your questions, Melissa. Thank you um, also for this journal, which combines these sorts of spiritual issues, imaginative issues, aesthetic issues, all of those things, uh, I think, um, that need to be in the mix for the richly lived life, the richly observed life. So thanks again. Oh, I'm so honored that, that you feel that way. Thank you. It means a lot to me, and it will too. Our publisher Donna as well. She she just put her heart and soul into it. <laughs> so thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, okay, we'll, you we'll talk again sometime. Oh, I would love to. Maybe with the next book. Indeed. Okay. Well, let's stay in touch then, and um, and I'll I'll email you soon too as well. <laughs> Good night. Good night. And before we close, I'd like to let our listeners know that you can subscribe, donate, or purchase single issues of the Ferret Journal at our website, www.teferritjournal.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the new Teferit Talk book. It's a collection of interviews from the first year of the Ferret Talk Radio. And also have a look at the special invitation from Hay House Publishers to join authors Gabrielle Bernstein, Chris Carr, Nancy Levin, and Reed Tracy for a writer's workshop in New York City on June 22nd through June 23rd. Our next Ferret Talk interview will be June 3rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Bill Knauer, author, speaker, and editor-in-chief of Author Magazine. We'll be focusing on his book, Write Within Yourself. We hope you'll join us then, and in the meantime, we wish you peace, love, happiness, and fulfilling work. Goodbye.